This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Please grab a seat. It is great to see you this morning. I hope you had an amazing July 4th. And I want to say just a word to those of you that are here for the very first time. I want to thank you for choosing to hang out with us this morning. We want you to know that in the life of C3, you matter. You're important to God, you're important to us, and you matter. In fact, your future is our focus. It's the reason we exist. And so thank you for being here this morning. We are rolling through what's called the book of James. It's way better than a book. It's actually an ancient document. It's a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus who was skeptical. He didn't buy into Jesus being the Son of God until after the resurrection. And then his life was transformed. God used him, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this letter. It's not written to a particular church. It's written to Christ followers all over the world because they'd been scattered because of persecution. And so it's a general letter just to any Christ follower written by this guy who grew up with Jesus. And you would think, man, growing up with Jesus, I mean, you're never going to win an argument. It's always your fault anytime there's a conflict. You go run into mom and dad to tell them about something, they're like, James, James, stop it. It's not Jesus, it's you. I mean, the attitude he could have had, but then his life is transformed, and he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first church, the mother church. And so that's the guy the Holy Spirit is using to write this letter. And we're rolling through it verse by verse, and here's why. Some point in life, more than once, your life, my life, they get turned upside down. And in those moments, it's not enough to just know what you believe. We need to know why we believe it. And so it's my passion as a pastor. I, I want to lead a church, be a part of a church that together we understand and we know the Word of God. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christ follower, maybe somebody invited you or you're just kind of checking it out, maybe you're going through something and you're, you're trying to figure out, is God really real? Does He really care about me? Is that possible? It's not a surprise to you that as a pastor, I'm going to come from a perspective that the Bible's the Word of God. But I want you to know, I believe that not because I'm a pastor. I believed that before I was a pastor. I believe that as a follower of Jesus. And so we believe the Scripture is foundational. We believe it's inspired by God. It's, the, it's what we build our lives on. It's the only authority we have for life. It's a book that as I read it, it reads me. It's a living, active Word and that God uses it in a supernatural way. And so we're in this series called The Lost Art. That's what we've called the book of James because James tells us how to practically, day by day, live out our faith, live out what we believe. We know, even if we don't fully buy in, we, we know what to believe, but often there's a disconnect. The lost art is we, we don't know how to live it, okay? I believe this, but what does that look like on a Monday afternoon? What does that look like in a difficult relationship? What does that look like? How do I flesh out my faith and live my faith as I make decisions? And James gives us all of that. And we're moving into the second part of chapter 4, the last part of chapter 4. We've been in this study about 11 weeks. And he says, if you want to practically live your faith day by day, struggle by struggle, moment by moment, the life that Jesus offers, remember Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full, life in the fullest sense. And a lot of times we think about Jesus in the context of, I need him to answer my prayer, but ultimately I need him to get me to heaven after this life. And we don't consider the reality that he said, there's a way to live a better than average, above kind of life here on earth. And James says in these next few verses, it all comes down to two things, two things. James chapter four, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, we, we've come across that phrase quite a bit in the book of James. It's family language. He's setting the tone and the pace for who he's writing to. It's fellow Christ followers, people that have given their life to Jesus. This is not a letter just to anybody and everybody. It's to people that have a faith in God, people that have placed their trust in Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Now, I know when you read that, you have no idea what that means. Nobody slanders anybody today. Like social media, it never happens. It's all good. But in that day, they dealt with that a little bit. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them 
speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. He's saying don't be so consumed with what somebody else is doing that all your attention is on what they should do differently or what they should change or what they should say or how they should act differently that you ignore what God wants to do in your life in the areas where you need to change. You focus on you. In the Greek, it means mind your own business. I mean, just focus on you. He's breaking down what it looks like to actually live a life of faith, a faith that pleases God, and a faith that fulfills you and I. And right from the beginning, just coming out of the gate, right at the beginning, hey, if you want to live your faith, he could start with anything. He could say you need to worship more. He could say you need to pray more. If you want to live a life of faith, you need to do more good. He could say that, but what does he say? First thing he hits, others. How do you treat others? I remember when our kids were younger, as a parent, there's always this internal grief and conflict when your kids are not getting along. We were out of town. I don't remember where we were, but I got a call from uh, the people who were staying with our kids while we were out of town, and two of my kids, we have two daughters, two sons, and two of my kids, I won't tell you which two, but it wasn't the girls, two of my kids had had some kind of conflict and argument. And apparently, they turned our living room into an MMA ring, and they went after each other. And, and I got to tell you, now I can kind of laugh about it, but in the moment, I'm, I'm far away. I can't get there right away and deal with it. And as a dad, those of you know, those of you that are dads, those of you that are moms, if you're not, you can imagine this. You can understand. It's not a, it's not a leap. If your kids are not getting along, if there's an issue between two of your kids, it affects your heart as a parent because you love both of them. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible speaks over and over and over again to how we get along with each other. This is not the only page. It's on many pages. How we treat each other, how we think about people, how we talk about each other. We have a God who's invited us to call him Father. He wants an intimate, close relationship that is personal. He's not a God that is distant. He's not a God that is only formal. He's not a God that requires formality when we come to him. In fact, we're told in the scriptures, you can approach God even in his throne room with confidence because you're his child if you're a follower of Christ. You can interrupt him at any moment with anything. It's this highly relational relationship that he longs for. He wants us to view him as our father. But here's what that means. Your relationship with God is not just about your relationship with God. Your relationship with God, my relationship with God, is very much about how we treat and how we love others. To God, how you and I treat every single person we encounter deeply matters. Every single person you and I lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. It does not matter. If they think differently than we do, if they believe differently than we do, if they vote differently than we do, it does not matter. Every single person you and I lock eyes with is just as loved by God as you are, as I am. And the Holy Spirit through James, he, he could have started anywhere. But he's moving into breaking down the, most two, the two most important things when it comes to living a life of faith. And he starts here, how we treat others. And he said, it all comes down to two things, this life of faith. First of all, we need to see others the way God sees them. We need to see other people the way God sees them. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you trash talk someone, when I trash talk someone, we violate who we say we are. God refers to himself as our father, and he does that to, to drive home the point that it matters how we treat other people and because he's their father too. And so the, the obvious question that comes to mind is, does the way you treat others bring joy or grief to God? Or let's put it in his language, in, in biblical language. A Jewish child growing up, usually the, the second or third word they would learn is Abba. And it's not this formal God, it's a formal title for God. It simply means father or dad. 
So in the language, does the way you treat others bring joy to dad? Or does it bring grief to dad? Earlier in James chapter 2, verse 8 says this, if you really keep the royal law, God calls this the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. When Jesus is asked, hey, what's the bottom line? All the commandments. In the Jewish culture, there were over 600 commandments you were supposed to try to live by. Not just the Big Ten. There were over 600. And if you were a religious leader, if you were an elevated leader in the Jewish culture, in the church, you had to promise to keep every detail of law in the book of the Mishnah, which was 24 chapters long. So there's all these rules, all these laws. Jesus is asked, boil it down. What's the bottom line? Give it to us. What's the big deal? The one thing we need to know. And it's the only question Jesus was ever asked that he could not answer. He said, I can't give you just one thing. There's two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. And everything else flows from that. And you're thinking... Man, that's easy to talk about on a Sunday, and it's predictable that a pastor would say that, but that's so hard to do. You don't understand who I work with. You don't understand who lives on my street. You don't understand who lives in my house. You you don't understand. I I deal with some difficult people because reality is from the beginning of time, there have been idiots in the world. There, There just have been. And before you think I'm being harsh, How many of you in your life, you have never, ever in life, never in your life have you had to deal with an idiot? Raise your hand if you've never had to deal with an idiot. Nobody? Nobody? See? I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. And often in life, i got to be honest, the biggest idiot is me. We all can step into being an idiot. But the reality is we all deal with it. There are difficult people. And here's the deal. If there's drama at your office, if there's drama on the team, If there's drama at home or drama in the class, if there's drama, you don't have to be a part of the production. Because the truth is, some of you, your name's on the program. You're up for best supporting actor. You stir the junk up on a regular basis. Don't slander each other. You walk into the workroom at the office and the conversation's on. Can you believe she's always late? Can you believe he's never ready? He's never ready in a meeting. He just BSs his way through, BS, Bible study. He just BSs his way through the conversation, and he's never prepared. He's never ready. I mean, we can run people down, and here's the hypocrisy of it. You're in the room with a couple people in your posse talking about this person. You leave and see him in the hall. Hey, how are you? Good to see you today. And people that don't know Jesus see the lack of authenticity in that. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. The trauma of the drama would be far less if we just stepped into the spiritual gift of shutting the fat up. Some of you, you just need to shut your mouth. The way you talk about people and the the legacy you're creating in your home, what you're becoming known by, and, and here's what you've got to come to realize and understand at some point. If there's somebody in your close circle of friends that always talks about people, if they will talk to you about someone, they will talk to someone about you. You're just not there when they do it. Living a life of integrity is not worried about what other people are doing wrong. It's worried about me getting my junk right. It's focusing on what's in my life that God is convicting me about. And we can spend so much time worrying about other people and what they're doing that's about that big of a deal that we miss what we're doing that's about that big of a deal. Jesus talks about that in another place, but we don't have time this morning. Loving God always includes loving others. You can't love God if you don't love others. You can't trash people that God loves and think that he won't notice. And we know this. One of your parents, one of your grandparents, somebody's you were growing up, taught you, and it's not quoted in the Bible, but it comes from biblical principles. You heard the phrase, if you can't say anything nice, don't. Or treat others the way you I wonder what the world would look like if we didn't just know it, but we did it. So he says, hey, see others the way God sees them. Then the second thing, if you want to live your faith in a practical way, day by day, the second thing, and this one, this one is so hard. This one's so hard for me. This is a hard one. For any of you that have a little bit of control freak in your DNA, 
This one's going to be a little bit challenging. You ready? Let God be God. <laughs> so many times in my life, I thought, okay, God, I know you're really busy right now. I'm going to help you out with this joker. I mean, this person. I'm going to take care of this for you. I got this. And every time I've done that, I've blown it up. We've got to learn to let God be God. Notice what he says in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. We can destroy some things. We can't save anything. But you, dash means pause, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? When it comes to the people in life that you and I may think are idiots, God has not asked you to join the convicting jury. You do not get a vote on their value or their worth. That is already determined and defined by God. And he does not care what your opinion is. He loves them deeply. So what do we do? We say, God, I have no idea how to navigate this situation with this person. God, I, I need some help. I don't know what to do. I'm going to leave this to you. I'm going to put it in your hands. How, how do we deal with difficult people? If James says, hey, number one, coming out of the gate, if you want to live a life of faith, it's about how you treat others. That's the big deal. Jesus said, love God, love others. How do you love God? How, how do we do number one? Number two, we've got an idea. How do we do number one? How do I love God? I can't wake up and give God a hug in the morning. How do I practically love God? People who love my kids, I feel their love for me. You love God by loving the people God loves in a very practical way, day by day. First John. First John, the Bible, the Spirit of God actually has the audacity to say, you can't call yourself a Christ follower if you don't love people. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now, he doesn't say whoever loves people that are lovable, whoever loves all the nice people, whoever loves the people that agree with you about everything that you're passionate about. He doesn't say that. Loving people that are easy to love, that doesn't take anything. Somebody who doesn't know God in a personal way can do that. This is a step above that. This leans into spiritual maturity. This is I'm going to love you no matter who you are, what you think, how you think, what you believe, because God loves you and God values you. So because I love God, I'm going to love you. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. This love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I was not lovable when Jesus died for me. I wasn't born yet. But God, because he's God, knew everything that I would do that would blow up my lives and the people that I love the most. God knew all the mistakes I'd make, all the things I'd be ashamed of, all the areas that I'd be broken. He knew all of that, and he loved me anyway. And he asked us as followers of Christ to love people in the same way, to offer and live in the same grace extended toward people who need it the way God extended it toward me when I needed it. And by the way, I still need it, and I need it every day. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Every single time you love someone. What does it mean? In the practical sense, in the language, it means putting someone above yourself, putting somebody else first. In your thoughts, yep, yeah, amen. In your thoughts, in how you think. That was God. You know how you can hit your phone and you tap that double exclamation point? I think that's what God just did. But in how you love people day by day, in how you love people in practical ways, every single time we do that and put somebody else first, put their needs first, put, put their, what's better for them first, be willing to have awkward loving conversations because of how much I love someone. We, 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 are, we are often, we, we, have, we have a pace of cowardly loving where we say we care about somebody, but we're not willing to have awkward conversations out of love. Now, those conversations only work if you and I have a close, loving relationship. If there's not a relationship to have awkward conversations on, then they're obnoxious conversations, not loving conversations. They're judgmental conversations, not loving conversations. We have to be in life with people, doing life with people, so that they know that we love them, so we can say, hey, man, right there, the way you talk about your wife, maybe you don't recognize it, but man, it's not healthy. Have you ever known any men that think it's macho to bash their wives? If we're in a conversation and you run your wife down, I think less of you, not her. And I keep those people at a distance. 
because I want, I need people around me that know how to love their wife. Not that are perfect, but men that know how to love God and love their wife because I want to be more and more like that. And I think it's contagious, so I want to put myself in that atmosphere where I'm learning from people that have that down well. James says, if you really want to walk with God, if you really want to walk in faith, let's talk about the difficult people in your life. It starts there. And then there's a shift. Okay, here are the two things you need to make sure you do if you want to live a life of faith. You, you need to see people the way God does. You need to have that down as a pace in your life, and you need to let God be God. And then he makes this shift in verse 13, and he's, he's just told us what we should do. Now he's going to tell us how we should think. And he's going to state something that is so blatantly obvious. And we know it, we feel it, but we don't like to think about it. And it is this, life is uncertain. Life's uncertain. It's summer. Some of you have already taken vacation. Some of you have plans for your vacation. Your next birthday, you're thinking about how you're going to celebrate that. Next weekend, you're thinking about what you're going to do. You've bought tickets to something. Man, we, we, we've got things down. We know where we're going, but none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Notice what Scripture says. Now listen. Those two words at the beginning of this passage, it literally means, hey, lean in a little bit. Pay attention. Don't miss this. This is for you. This is for me. This is important. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? He's speaking to those of us that are planners, which means he's speaking to all of us. All of us plan some things. Now, some of you, you plan at a, an extreme above average level. You have spreadsheets for your spreadsheets. You, you've got everything nailed down. And, but we start planning when we're younger. You're moving out of elementary school. You're moving into middle school. And you start planning a little bit what classes you're going to take, if there are those options, and what sports you're going to participate in, or what instrument you're going to play, or if you're going to sing, or what you're going to do. You start planning those things. As you move into high school, you're starting to plan, and you feel it. It's out there when you're a freshman, but it's not real close. You don't think about it a lot like, am I going to go to college, or am I going to go in the military? Am I going to get a job? What, what am I going to do? And then your senior year, you're sweating buckshot because you've got to figure it out. Time's up. Go, Johnny, go. Like, you've got to decide what you're doing. You're planning. You're thinking about the future. You go to college, and you've got to plan what you're going to major in, and if you're going to have a second major, what that's going to be. You, you've got all your plans. You get out of college. You've got a plan for your life, what your career is going to look like and if you're going to get married and maybe who you're going to get married or the idea of who you're going to marry. You, you got a plan for how many kids you want. God laughs at that one often. But you got a plan for everything you're going to do in life and we plan everything out. And one of the things I'm learning as I get a little bit older is rarely do my plans flesh out the way I thought they would. And there are two types of planners. We're all planners. There are two types of planners. One type of planner is people that are process planners. You've got a process, you've got a system, and you work the process. And it doesn't matter what happens in life, you're sticking to your plan. You've got a plan, and there are going to be some detours and some speed bumps, and you're going to have to crash through some things, but you're going to stick to your plan. You're a process person, and you don't want anybody to mess up the process. And then others of you, you're a pivot person. You, you have your plans, but you're going to pivot. You, you kind of got the initial plans down, and then we'll see what happens. And as I need to, I'll, I'll make this change or I'll make that change. But the Holy Spirit of God is asking the question of both types of planners. He's asking the question of all of us, what is your life? How you've planned it, what you think about you. Why are you here? What is your purpose? What are you about? I mean, it's right there in the verse. What is your life? And then he says, okay, let me tell you, Spirit of God, what is your life? Here's what life's about. And he hits it in verse 14. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. God, you could have done better than that. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. God says, yeah, you're, you're this. That's you. You're here for just a moment. Serene vanilla sunrise. Some of you, that's you. Some of you, that's you. Like, I'm just being honest. But you're here for just a moment, and then you're done. God could have said, I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't, isn't God supposed to say, hey, what is your life? You're a child of the king. You're an heir to the throne. You are mine, and I am yours. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. I intend for you to live an above-average life. I've got you. Wouldn't that have been better? But instead, who is strong? Yeah, you can have it. Take it home. God bless you. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psst. 
How many of you know the name of your great-great-grandfather or grandmother? How many generations do you have to go back before you just don't know? And how many generations in the future will they forget who you are? You're here for a moment. But this is honestly, hang with me, it's one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. It's subtle but straightforward in the way it acknowledges that this life matters because there's more to life than this life. You're here for a moment, but you don't stop existing. This is brief. It's short. It passes quickly. But we are eternal. So we're here for a moment to make an impact, but we live forever. And what we do here is a resume for where we spend eternity and how we spend eternity. I grew up in church, and I remember as a kid when they would talk about heaven. I wanted to go, but I wasn't excited about it. You're going to sit on a cloud and listen to harp music and sing boring songs and act like you love it. Okay, I want to go, but I don't want to be in that room. Is there another room? Like where they're having fun? Like, is there something else I can do? I I mean, I don't want to go to the other place, but heart music, like, I I don't have that on my Spotify. I I don't listen to heart music driving down the road. It's just not, I wouldn't be excited about it. I think in a lot of ways as churches, we've done a very poor job of painting the picture of of heaven and what it's actually like. Heaven is not boring. We think, oh, we're all going to do the same thing every day. It doesn't seem very fun. We'll, We'll all be the same, just sitting there, worshiping together, whatever that looks like. Heaven's all about equality, but it's not. Heaven is not about equality at all. If you actually read the Bible, heaven is about hierarchy. It's about governing and leading. The Bible says there's going to be a new earth and there'll be roles of leadership and there'll be roles of governing and we'll all be very busy. And Jesus made it clear what you and I do here in this moment that this last, it's it's like a mist. What we do here determines our rank, job, position, and reward in heaven forever. There's no equality in that, but there is honesty in it. What we do here in this moment that passes so quickly, we will live with and live on forever. What we do here now determines how we do and what we do forever. Jesus even said, go after it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what I'm doing here is building something for there. What I do here matters there. It makes a huge difference. In fact, life, we tend to think and we tend to plan just toward our death. But life is so much longer than that, and Home Depot doesn't make any unending ropes. But just imagine that goes forever. This part right here, that's life on earth. You're born, you're going to go through some stuff as a kid, scrape your knee, fall off your bike, learn to do some fun things. You're going to get stung by a bee. Then you're going to Start school and go through school, and you're going to meet somebody and maybe get married. And for some, that doesn't work out, and you get married again. But you're going to go through some ups and downs in life. But it's about this long, and we focus so much on this, we don't even think about. And what you and I do here sets the stage for what we do and how we do here. Jesus. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We have such a short-sighted view. But many of you on that little part that is this life, you do such an outstanding job. I told you, you heard this week, you may have heard there was an announcement today. We've been at this campus, our first permanent campus. We were portable for 14 and a half years. We've been here a little over a year and a half. In that time, in church world, 10% growth a year is considered explosive, mind-blowing, like record-shattering growth at 10% a year. We have more than doubled and are hitting a pace each year at about 50% growth. That's because of you. See, some of you recognize in this life, this is a moment, it's a mist. You've got your priorities in line that help you live according to your purpose, and you're building your resume here for there. And the way you serve, the way you invest financially, the way you invite people, the way you pray. We've seen in the first six months of this year, because we didn't meet last Sunday, so just the first six months of this year, we've seen on Sunday mornings in this room, 113 people give their lives to Jesus just in the last six months. 
It's incredible. It's incredible who you are and how you're allowing God to use you. And you may remember through the spring, we're in the summer now, but through the spring, there were multiple Sundays I had to say something like, I need you to scoot in. We're running out of room and we'd have to bring chairs in. And so the big announcement is this. God has called us to change this city. God has called us to make Orlando, Florida the hardest place to go to hell from and the hardest place to live in hell. God has called us to make a difference in the lives of people. And so we're going to be adding on August the 27th a third service. But that third service, here's the deal. It's going to be 6 p.m. Sunday night. It's a very strategic service. It's a very strategic time. Now, what you need to know, I can't share everything right now, but what you need to know is there are going to be some unique elements to the 6 p.m. service. If you come at 6 p.m., you will not come Sunday morning. If you come Sunday morning, you will not come at 6 p.m. It is a third option. There are three reasons we're doing this. Number one, before COVID, I don't have the latest stats, and a lot of things change with COVID, but we already know we are in a hospitality-driven culture. We're in a tourism industry culture. And so pre-COVID, 42% of people in Central Florida worked on Sunday morning. They couldn't come even if they wanted to. I don't know the stats now. I just know we're still hospitality-driven, and a lot of people can't, can't come on Sunday morning. They work. Number two, we're, we're not a college town, but we are a college town. One of the best-kept secrets in the nation, one of the largest universities in the nation. Tons of college students here. And I have a deep passion in my life, and the older I get, the more it intensifies to go after and reach and help college students. Now, here's the thing about college students. There's no bedtime on Saturday night. They're not getting up, most of them, and coming on Sunday morning. They're just not. Especially ones that don't know Jesus. They're out bumping and thumping late on Saturday night. So Sunday night becomes more of a, I didn't say the rest of it. Sunday night becomes more of a viable option. And so we want to go after college students. And we're doing some things to build this service where it's going to be, I believe, very appealing. Uh, to college students and everybody. Sunday night, we will not have any children's ministries. So if you have a child fifth grade and younger, Sunday morning is your time slot. As we're growing and developing leaders, one of the challenges in any business, organization, church, whatever, with fast growth, there become some challenges. And one of them is some leadership gaps. We're always growing faster than the leaders we have. We're always growing faster than the amount of people serving that we need. And so we have to build up to that. And so uh, Sunday night is going to be, if you don't have kids fifth grade and younger, man, you, you can come to Sunday night. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be no kids ministry. But the other reason we're doing it is space. We had multiple Sundays in the spring where I had to ask people to move in because we were out of seats and we want to keep reaching people. So I'm asking God to give us about 100 people that attend on Sunday morning in one of the two services to help launch the Sunday night service. And some of you, we're still going to have connections. We're still going to have parking lot. In fact, um, you found when you came in this morning in your seated card. I want you to grab that because I want to talk about this for a second. There's a card that says serve with C3. I, I want you to grab that card and I want you to ask yourself the question, what are you doing in this life to build the kingdom of God that is going to impact and bless you in this life? Man, some of you, you attend C3, you love C3, it's time to step up and serve. It's time to make a difference with your life. Some of you are already serving. Man, it, 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 I, I, I want to thank you. God is using what you're doing. But can you imagine if all of us had said, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. Hey, where can I serve? How can I plug in? How can I make a difference? So I want to encourage everybody, just take a second and fill this out. Put your, print your name clearly, your address, city, state, zip, email. And, and by the way, if you're a guest, please do not feel any obligation to fill this out. Maybe you say, man, C3 is not my church yet. Yet is the key word it will be because these people are phenomenal. But until then, like, don't feel an obligation. Um, but fill this out even if you're already serving. And then you can check. I'll serve on Connections, C3 Kids. That would be only Sunday morning. C3 Students, that's Wednesday night. Worship Experience, C3 Crew. Fill that out. Check where you're willing to serve. On the back, you can take a picture of that with your phone. It breaks down each of those areas. If you're not sure you'll serve anywhere, don't check anything. Our team will reach out to you this week, but to launch Sunday night, to serve people well, it's going to require more of a step up and serve. And then the people who move to Sunday night and serve, or the people who are serving Sunday night, we've got to fill those gaps on Sunday morning. But God has called us to keep reaching people. If we had the cure to cancer but kept it to ourselves, it would be criminal. We have the cure to the biggest needs in life. We have the cure to hopelessness. We have the cure to a lack of peace. We have the cure to finding purpose. We have the cure to forgiveness of sin. We have the cure to certainty about eternal life. 
And I believe it is a spiritual crime if we just keep that to ourselves. Knowing Jesus is not something we coast on and keep to ourselves. It's too good to keep to us. So please fill that out. At the end of the service as you leave, you can drop in one of the red buckets. We will contact you. We will plug you in and, and, uh, and have time to train you. We've got seven weeks. Seven weeks. Now, maybe with your schedule, you want to take this home and talk to your spouse and say, hey, let's talk about uh, our routine, our schedule. I'll bring it back next week. That's fine. Just do it. D- d- don't let this moment pass and just be a moment. Let this be a momentum, a moment that creates momentum in your life where you're building your resume for the rest of your life after this life. The Holy Spirit simply says through James, let's look at how you're planning your life. It's not wrong to plan out your life, but it's all wrong to leave God out of that plan. Verse 14, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If it's the Lord's will. I don't have to ask God if it's, if it's his will for me to invite somebody to C3 this week for next Sunday. He's already laid that out. I don't have to ask God if it's, if it's his will for me to put him first financially and bring at least the first 10% to my local church. He's already laid that I don't have to pray about that. I don't have to ask God about that. I already know it's his will. If it's his will to serve, I don't have to ask that question. If you're a follower of Christ, you're what the Bible calls the body of Jesus. We, we represent Jesus on earth, and you have a part in that. And if you're not serving, if you're not plugged in on Sunday morning, and I get it, I get it, I get it. Some of you, man, you, you got your stack of excuses. Ah, I'm so busy. I got so much going on. I'll do it later. One of the biggest mistakes I made as a father, and I'd give anything if I could go back in time. God has blessed us with four incredible kids that all love Jesus, all in ministry. That is because of his grace and how phenomenal Angie is. It has very little to do with me. One of the mistakes, one of the biggest mistakes I made is I lived a lot on later. Just busy right now. Can't get to it right now. But let's be honest. Every Monday, I do what I want to do. You and I accomplish what we want to accomplish. We make time for the things that are a priority. And it's fascinating to, th- to me, the things that we prioritize, and then we have dimin- how we diminish what God has called us to be in and say we don't have time. Some of you, man, you, you need to make an adjustment because you're so focused on this that you're going to miss what you could build for all of eternity. He's talking about the football coach that plans the first drive of the game but doesn't give any thought to the rest of the game. He's talking about the baseball coach that plans the first inning, who's going to bat and the schemes we're going to run and how we're going to do this and doesn't give any thought to the rest of the game. He's talking about the musician that has an opportunity to play in front of 50,000 people and practices and rehearses and plans only the first song and is going to just wing it from there. And he's saying, when you live life and all you think about is what's here on earth, you're missing a majority, the vast majority of what life is, and you've set yourself too low of a standard, and what you're doing here is building what you're going to do there, and you're not going to have much of a resume there, and eternity will not be what it could have been. And we don't get to do this again. How stupid to spend so much of our thought and energy on such a a minuscule fraction of our existence. This life on earth, it's just the opening moment of your existence, an existence that will last forever. But this moment determines forever. Most of us make our plans for life to the point of death, but we forget that we don't die. You will live past your death. You're not a body that happens to have a soul. You're a soul that has a body for a moment but will live forever. And we put so much focus on what I'm going to do. We have a bucket list as though when I take my last breath, it's over. But it's not. So why would you plan and consider and focus on only the first moments of what will be your entire existence? Why do we focus so much on the And it's gone in a moment when now determines later. Death is not something we like to think about. But in reality, death is an incredible gift. Think about this. 
We weren't created to die. We were created to live in a garden that was perfect, and everybody was naked, but it was okay because they had perfect bodies. And then God said, okay, you broke the world. There's sin. You don't all have perfect, perfect bodies. Put some clothes on. And we're grateful for that. But we weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. Think about how good, think about how loving God is when we broke the world and we chose sin over him. And don't be too hard on Adam and Eve because you and I do the same thing every week. We choose our way instead of God's way. When we did that, God said, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to live forever in brokenness. You're going to die and I'm going to pull you out of that. I love you too much for you to forever live with the sting of betrayal. The wrath of your own personal disappointment. I, I, I love you too much to let you wrestle with insecurities for all of eternity. So you're going to be there for a moment on earth, but there's going to be a moment where I'm going to pull you out of that. One of the greatest gifts God ever has given us is death. Because it doesn't end anything. It begins a significant eter eternity if you've made the decisions to live a significant life. This is just for a moment. That's why we have the entire Bible telling us how to live in a way that we'll be glad in eternity that we live this way. When you and I make the most of now, we make the most of forever. So how do I do that? How do I live life making the most of this life that will create an eternal life that I'll enjoy? I'm glad you asked. Just a couple things. Number one, make it more about others. Make it more about others. Some of you, you're so consumed with yourself. Other people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. Make it more about others. It, it doesn't come naturally. Like none of us just automatically do this. It requires intentionality. It's so easy for you, for me, to drift into the mindset and the flow that, hey, this is all about me. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? How do I want to enjoy the weekend? What, what, what is it about me? What do I do? And James gives, James gives us this much-needed reminder. Hey, there are only two things that are going to live in life forever. Only two things last forever, people and God's Word. God's Word is our foundation. He says, because this is like a, a moment that is missed and is going to pass quickly, here's the best way to live it so the rest of your life, which is forever, is at the maximum level. That, that's our foundation. And then people, it's the only thing you take with you. People. Because every single person you lock eyes with matters to God. And every person is an opportunity to show them the love of God. The opportunity to forgive again. The opportunity to be kind to the unkind. The opportunity to live differently than the way most people in our screwed up culture live. Make it more about others. People matter to God and they should matter to us every single day. Don't let a week go by without inviting somebody to C3. Don't let a week go by or a day go by without being kind to somebody that's not being kind. Make the most of every opportunity. Make it more about others. Number two, make sure, <laughs> make sure God's in control. In control of what? Well, first of all, my time. This determines forever. What am I going to do with my time? What does God want for my time? God, how do you want me to use my life for your kingdom? When it comes to serving through the local church, which the Bible says is the hope of the world, church was God's idea, and anything messed up about church, we've broken. God didn't. But when we do church the biblical way, it's the hope of the world. 113 people have given their life to Jesus. Their eternities changed forever. Family trees are transformed. It, it happens through the local church. So where are you giving your time to make a difference and build God's kingdom instead of your own? Your time. Make sure God's in control of your purpose. Am I doing what God wants or what I want? Make sure God is in control of your place, where you are in life. Is it about making you look good or making God look good? Make sure God's in control of your goals. Some of you, you've got goals. You've got a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and a long-range plan, and you've got all these goals. How much of that is about building God's kingdom, and how much of it is about building your kingdom? God... What's best for eternity in how I do this, in my goals, or my money? Now, I'm, I'm going to go there for just a second, because I have to, because Jesus does. Jesus talked more about money than almost any other subject, because he knows we deal with it every day. And I understand when I talk about money, it gets tense, and some of you tense up. People get funny when you talk about money. But let me just say and preface everything I'm about to say with this. 
if you think there's any part of me trying to manipulate you when it comes to your money, then please do what the Bible says, but give it to a different church. I'm not trying to manipulate you. This is not about what I want from you. It's about what I want for you. And I want you to be in a place where you can be the most blessed by God. I want you to be in a place where what you do in this brief thing called life sets you up for something incredible in eternity. Jesus, Jesus said, chase the reward. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Go after it. And I want you to experience I don't want anybody to miss that. So if you think I'm trying to manipulate you or get something from you or guilt you into something, hey, give somewhere else. You can keep coming here because this is the greatest church in the world. You can keep coming here, give somewhere else. If you get sick and go in the hospital, we'll still come visit you. We won't take the expressway because you don't give anything, but we'll get there when we can. And no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We will. We'll get there fast because your values are not determined by what you give, but your eternity is. The quality of your eternity. There's going to be rank. There's going to be position. There's going to be levels of leadership. You're building your resume now. Make decisions based on eternity, not finances. How much of what I invest in builds the kingdom and how much of what I invest in builds my kingdom? Am I so leveraged financially that I'm paying for a bunch of stuff and not doing anything to build God's kingdom? When, when Jesus, Scripture teaches clearly, bring the first 10% if you're a follower of Christ to the local church. Ah, that's Old Testament. Well, you haven't read your Bible. In Matthew, Jesus endorses it. That's how we're to live as Christ followers because it's not an issue of money. It's an issue of trust. Do I really trust God? Is he my protector and my provider or not? And when I trust God, it's no problem bringing the first 10% because he's going to take care of me. He promises to do that. I can live better on 90% partnered with God than on 100% with me in charge and God not blessing me. Oh, God's blessed me. Not like he could have. Not if you're not doing this. The greatest purpose for your money and the way your money can serve you the most is when it's used as an asset for eternity. Financially, are you building what you want or are you building what God wants? What's your greatest investment? What's the thing you're the most proud of? Is it a car? Is it something you've invested in? What, what, what have you spent money on, man? That, that's what you're the proudest of. Is that thing, whatever it is, temporal or eternal? I was having lunch with a couple. We'll call them John and Jane. I'm not going to use their real names because of confidentiality. This was about 10 years ago. We were having lunch. And it had been a message similar to this on a Sunday morning. And John looked at me, and John and, and Jane had done very well. They were business owners. They, they, God had blessed them financially. And he said, God really spoke to us Sunday morning. And we feel like God is calling us to give $150,000 to C3. And after I got up, because I passed out, after I got up, <laughs> I was like, man, tell, tell me like how, because like what I say up here, it's who I am. It really is not about what I want from you. God is going to fund this church. When you look at what's happened and the story of what's happened, God's got all that. This is about what I want for you. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss in this building the rest. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, we wanted to give in a way that we felt it, and it cost us something. $50,000, I'd have still passed out. But they wouldn't have felt it at that level. Have you ever done something as an act of God financially at such a level that you felt it? Their decision, even though that's a lot, it was going to cause Jane to have to continue working three years past when she wanted to retire. But they said they were glad to do it. They said they were going to do it, and within about three months, they did it. Now, it's not about $150,000. It's about how God spoke to them, and they made a quick yes we're launching a third opportunity to reach more people. 113 people have given their lives to Jesus in six months. Explosive growth is taking place in the life of C3. And that's happened with about 25% of you being faithful financially to Jesus and what he asks. That's happened with the rest of you robbing God and being selfish and investing in what you want instead of what Jesus wants. 
How do you know that? Do you know what I give? No. <laughs> but if you gave, you wouldn't be ashamed of it. No, I just ask our financial office, hey, what's the percentage? And they tell me. Can you imagine how many more people we could help? How many more people we could reach? How much more we could do in the community? The kind of life-giving powerful move of God we could experience and see what God could do if we who say we follow Jesus would follow his teachings and worry more about building his kingdom than our own? Because when you take your last breath and when I take mine and we step into eternity, what's happened here is only going to matter in the sense of what it builds for there. And we ride that forever. John and Jane could have done a lot of things with that. A lot of good things. But what they chose to do was build their resume for eternity. Their 150000 may be your 5000 maybe your 500 maybe your $5. I don't know. But I, I want to be the kind of friend, the kind of pastor that encourages you. Step into uncomfortable places. Muscles grow in the gym when you push them to uncomfortable places. Your life grows and your spiritual life will grow when you say yes to what God's asking you to do and step into something that's uncomfortable. And this week, some of you, you could make a contribution that would help us market more, do more to get word out, and reach more people than we ever have if you just say yes to what God's asked you to do. So you get to decide. But during this, this thing called life, you're building all of this. So what are you going to do with this? Would you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful for your word that lays out so clearly, so plainly, exactly what you ask each of us to do and how you want to use us. Father, I pray as a church, every person that's a Christ follower and part of C3 would say yes to step into a life of significance. I'm going to serve to make a difference. I'm going to invest financially to make a difference. I'm going to do the other things we talked about. I'm going to live in light of eternity. I'm going to build your kingdom, God, not just mine. Father, I pray that the people sitting in this room this morning would build phenomenal resumes for eternity by saying yes to what you ask us to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to give your life to Jesus, to invite him to come into your life, forgive your sins give you a home in heaven after this life, give you his spirit to live in you in this life. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's the first step in changing your entire eternity. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says Jesus knows even our thoughts. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus today, man, this is your day. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311. And Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.